Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Book of Galatians, chapter number four. Paul is introducing to us this, this wonderful thing that was accomplished for us when God sent Jesus to die on the cross on our and in our behalf. This is everything he's been talking about in the book thus far. That there's this group that's come into the church at Galatia and they've been teaching and they've been telling the believers there that the only way that you can be made right with God is that you must have faith in God and you must have good works being done in your life and from your life and that if you have faith in God and you have good works for God, then God will make you right in his sight. And Paul has come along in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and Paul is helping the believers and us to understand that it's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and this alone that makes us right with God. That when you have faith in God, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, or through the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are made right with God, and that being made right with God produces something in your heart and in your life in which you want to serve God, you want to live for God, and you want to do a work for God. But our works and our service and our goodness, these are not things that contribute to making, it, making us right with God. It's what he called in this chapter, justified. Remember that word? Justified. How being, having faith in God justified us in the, in the eyes of God. We were given justification. And what we said about justified was justified was that we stood in front of the judge and even though we were guilty, the judge declared us innocent. And this is what happened when we put our faith in God. When we put our faith in God, the judge, God the judge, the judge of all of the world, looked at us who were guilty, we were sinful men, and he declared us right with God. Now here's what Paul is coming right alongside of this idea of justification. And he's saying, but you did not only, and you were not only, made right in the eyes of God, because of the law. He is also telling us, and this is the wonderful truth about the lesson today, he is telling us not just we were made right with God, but also, and really on top of that, we were loved by God himself. So we were made right in the eyes of God in that Jesus did all that was necessary for us, but also, man, we were loved. We were adopted into, we were brought into the very family of God in that God did not just declare us guilty or innocent rather, but that God declared us his own. That God did not just declare us innocent, but God declared us his own. He said, you're innocent and you belong to me. That's what he said when he gave us the Lord Jesus Christ and when we put our faith and trust in him. How many of you remember when your kids were little 
and they regularly interrupted your life. How many of you can remember those days? Maybe some of you are still living in those days, right? And by regularly interrupting your life, what I mainly mean is they interrupted your sleep. How many of you remember those days, right? And this is, this is the way it would go in our family. Generally speaking, I've been exceedingly blessed in that Amanda's side of the bed, right? How many of you have a side of the bed, right? There's a, there's a side for her, there's a side for him, right? How many of you have a side, right? I've been blessed in this sense. It's providentially uh, aligned by God that Amanda's side of the bed was always closest to the door, right? It's a wonderful, wonderful working out in that way. So the children come into the room in the middle of the night, and Amanda's always the closest one to the door, so I can pretend like I am asleep more than she pretends like she's asleep, right? And I remember, man, I remember this like it was yesterday. Our kids would walk into the room, and man, one time in particular, it was Elena. She comes walking into the room, and, and this time, she does not go to, my, to Amanda's side of the bed. She made her way all the way around. She came to my side of the bed, and she just stood there staring at me. And I'm laying there, you know, and I'm like, somebody's watching me. And I pick my eye open, and there she's standing. Like, ah, you know. Elena, it was normally Elena. She'd come in the room, you know, she'd always wake us up with something. Elena comes in the room, she's like, mom, mom, mom. You see, now the trick here is to pretend like you are asleep. This is a finely, this is a finely skilled uh, ability here, okay? You have to just lay very still. You pretend, you know, just breathe very slow. You hardly move, maybe even like, mm, maybe even something like that, you know? And you're just very still. And even though you're awake, it's mom, mom. You're just laying there pretending like I'm asleep because I just do not want to get out of bed at three o'clock in the morning, you know? So Amanda gets up. She goes and takes care of Elena. She's like, Jesse's coughing. So she, Amanda goes. She takes care of it. She goes back to bed. And I mean, right about 4.30, Elena comes back in the room. And she's like, Mom, 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 you know. And now Amanda goes, and I'm not proud of this moment, okay? I'm just telling you that. I'm just confessing my sins to you. Amanda says, Dave, are you awake? Listen, it's one thing to pretend like you didn't hear it. It's another thing to just lie, right? You know? So I have this, like, I'm in this moral, you might have this moral problem, right? Do I, just, do I just not answer? Do I say something? She says, Dave, are you awake? And I'm like, oh, well, what, babe? I'm, I'm sorry, what? Are <laughs> you talking to me, right? And, and this, this got me thinking. You say, what does this have to do with being adopted as a son, right? This, this got me thinking. Of all the times in, in the growing up of our children, all the times that Amanda did something for me that I should have done myself. And I, I'm, I'm tolling up in my office today, I'm thinking, four children, our oldest is 10 now, so he doesn't interrupt as nearly as much as he used to, but four children, or, or our youngest is 10, Four kids, she's been interrupted about 9,727 times in the middle of the night, right? And I've, I've been interrupted about 12, okay, about 12 times. She's, been, she's gotten up about 9,000, I've gotten up about 12, right? And all the things that she's done for me, all the things I should have done for myself, but I didn't, and that's the truth that's being communicated to us in the book of Galatians. That there was this law that was placed on us, these 
things that we were that we should have done, this religiousness we should have had, this right living, this righteousness, this, this obeying the law that we should have done, but just honestly, we didn't do, and also we couldn't do. That we didn't do, but that we couldn't do, and so God sent Jesus into the world to do for us what we could not and what we did not do for ourselves. That this is why God sent Jesus into the world. And that's what he's telling us in this passage. Why did he send forth his son made of a woman, made under the law? Why? Look at verse number five. To redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And this is the great, this is with the great truth of the Bible. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21. For he, God, for he made him, that's Jesus. For he, God, made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. So Jesus became sin for us, even though Jesus did not know sin. Why? So that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And what Paul is saying in this passage is, God did this as a way of which we were justified or we were made right. That the judge of the universe looks at you and looks at me and because or if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone, that we were justified. We were made right with God. But Paul is going beyond that. And Paul is saying, it's not just that you were made right with God. It's not just, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to be made or declared right before a judge, but it is something even greater to be loved by God the Father. It is a wonderful thing to be declared right before the judge, but it is even greater to be loved by God the Father. And the message to you and to me this morning is, you are loved by God himself. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That God declared us right through justification. But hear me, God declared us loved in that he adopted us into his family. God declared us right in justification, but God declared us love, it loved in that he adopted us into his family. Imagine standing in front of the judge. And man, the judge comes out, he sits in his booth, and order in the court, order in the court, and now they're going to sentence, they're going to give your sentence, and you stand there and you know that you have not done all that you should have done then you know that you have not done all the things that God has asked you to do. You've broken God's word. You've lied. You've been disobedient. Man, maybe even done things that are worse than that. Man, you know that you've done things that are against God. And here's the judge who stands there in the courtroom. You stand in front of him. Man, he takes his gavel and he slams it down. And he does not pronounce you guilty, but he pronounces you innocent. He says, you're innocent based on the good work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You go, wow, and that's amazing. Well, that's what you got when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. But not just that, but that the judge of the universe then pushed back from his table. He stood up and walked around the platform. He came down to where you were. He unlocked your handcuffs and he took you by the hand and he said, and now not just are you innocent, but you're coming home to be with me. You are now a member of my family. Can you imagine that? I'm going to treat you as if you were in my family. That's what God did for us. He did not just declare us right as a judge. He declared us loved in that he is our father and we his children. This is what Paul is really arguing. And he argues this in a couple different ways. He tells us exactly how God made us or brought us into his family. He uses the analogy. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 4. Now I say that the heir, right? so the person who is to receive the inheritance, the son in this sense. Now I say that the heir or the son, right, the, the firstborn, that as long as he is a child, he differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all because he's under a tutor or a governor until the time appointed by the father. So even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage to the elements of this world. So while we were trying to get a standing with God, we were trying to live up to the law, we could not do it. Man, we were slaves to the law. We were not sons to the love of God. So what did God do? Verse number four, look at it with me. But when... The fullness of time was come. God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. That's justification. And then notice this. That we might receive the adoption of sons. So he says, why did God send Jesus into the world? And what happened when I put my faith and trust in Jesus? Well, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you were declared right by the judge of the universe. That's justification. That's wonderful all by itself. But he did more than that in that he received you as a son. He adopted you into his family. He claimed you as his very, very own. So here's the truth. God sent Jesus into the world so that we might receive the position of a son. God sent Jesus into the world so that we might see the position of a son. Here's what we're going to talk about, Lord willing, in a few weeks from now. Look at verse number two. So he says, or, or, or verse number six, rather. Look at verse six. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So God sent his son into the world to give us the position of sons, but God sent his spirit into your heart to give you the privileges of the son. Now, here's, this was my goal today. My goal was to preach that entire thing, but there's absolutely, there's absolutely no way that we have enough time to do that, okay? We would have to stay way past, way past our normal time to get out, all right? So we're going to take, take one idea, and here's the idea. God sent his son that we might receive the position of sons. 
God sent His Son in that He desired not just as a judge to declare us right, but that as a Father, He declares us His Son. He adopts us into His family. So here's the next natural thought to that. Okay, Pastor, if that's what God did, then how did that happen? How did God, or what did God do that caused me to be adopted into His family, that made me a son? So, th so this is the outline. I think you have an outline you can, you can follow along with us, so you can take some notes, and I want you to, because I want you to remember a few of these things. Number one, notice that in adoption, that how did He bring us into His family? Sticking with the image of adoption, that adoption was seriously planned. Adoption was seriously planned. Now, I want you to think like real-world adoption, like today. You do not adopt someone by accident, right? You don't accidentally adopt someone into your family. That's not the way it goes. You're not just driving down the road and then, poof, here's an adopted baby. That's not how it happens. Adoption is something that is seriously planned. And for those of you in the room who've gone through the adoption process, maybe you have adopted or maybe you've even been adopted, Man, you know the amount of hoops that you have to jump through in order to adopt someone into your family. All the different boxes that you have to check. All the, the waiting and the working. The attending seminars. The watching videos. The reading books. The asking questions. The, uh, the, the, the agencies that, 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 that you have to go through. For, just searching out them and the, what the right adoption scenario is for you. And that's exactly what Paul is saying in verse number 4. Paul is saying that this adoption into the family of God is not something that happened accidentally, but it is something that happened happened purposefully in the fullness of time. That it happened right in line with when God wanted it to happen. So he says, when the time had fully come, when everything in history came to a certain point for this to happen, what, what happened then? Look at the verse, verse number four. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent Forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons, and because ye are sons, God hath sent his spirit. Man, there you have God sending his son, and then you have God sending the spirit. You have all three members of the Trinity right there. Isn't that amazing? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all of them active, all of them working, all of them working for what? All of them accomplishing what? All of them doing what? All of them fulfilling the plan of God. And what was the plan of God? Man, the plan of God was to redeem people to Himself to make it possible for us to be made right in the eyes of God, but not just that, for us to be adopted into the very family of God. I like how one old preacher said it. He said, God the Father administered it. God the Son accomplished it. And God the Spirit applied it. Isn't that a good outline right there? And God the Father administered it. God the Son accomplished it. And God the Spirit applies that to your heart and life. Adoption, number one, is seriously planned. It does not happen by accident. Number two, adoption is perfectly timed. It's perfectly timed. Notice this. In or when the fullness of time was come. Man, when the fullness of time had come. Listen to me. 
God's timing is perfect. And God is never too early and God is never too late, but God's timing is always perfect. At God's timing, while it may not be on your schedule, and while it may not be on my schedule, it is always on schedule, okay? At God's timing is always perfect. His always works according to His schedule, according to His orchestration, and according to His time. So what Paul is telling us is that Jesus came into the world at the precisely scheduled time that God had administered. So Christ was born then in the fullness of time. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas, is it not? We celebrate on December the 25th that Christ came into the world. And what Paul is saying is Christ came into the world at the precisely right time. It was the perfect time for Christ to come. And it's certainly true that we cannot know that Christ was precisely born on December the 25th, but how many of you like me will take every opportunity to celebrate the fact that Christ came into the world, right? It is significant in that God's timing is always right. That's not just true for when he sent Jesus into the world. Hey, hear me, friend. That's true for you, and that's true for me. You see, some of us in the room, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of angst. There's, there's a lot of uh, maybe even contempt, maybe even bitterness toward God because you're asking God to do something for you, and you really want that answer like yesterday. And you're like, well, why isn't God answering me? Well, I prayed. The pastor said, if you pray that, that God hears you, so okay, God, I'll give you till the end of the day today. How many of you are like me? You've tried to do that to God before, right? Okay, God, you better do it by, the, by 12, okay? And then 12, 12, 30 comes, and you're like, okay, fine, by 1, okay? I'll wait a little bit longer. Okay, God, maybe Friday, right? Hey, listen, God's timing is always best. It's never too early and never too late. God's timing is always best. And this is a wonderful, wonderful truth about how we can trust. Listen, we can trust our God. Yeah, but I really got this big problem and I needed an answer like yesterday and now I don't. Listen, you can trust God. His timing is always perfect. His timing is always best. His timing is always right. Let me put a footnote here and let me say this. Not only did Jesus come the first time at the right time, but hear me on this. Jesus will come the second time at the right time. Listen to it in Acts chapter 17, verse number 30, 31. At the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now, this is what God does now, now commandeth he all men everywhere to repent because, because, he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man. Who is that man? That's Jesus. So God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world by the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him, Jesus, from the dead. Not only did God come, not only did Jesus come at the right time, the first time, but hear me, Jesus is coming again 
And when he does, it will be the right time. And how many of you like me, you just believe that Jesus is coming really soon, right? I mean, you look at all that is wrong in our world and you just go, Lord, please come right now, right? I'll be, I'll be okay if you come and get us right now. Hey, listen, adoption is seriously planned. Number two, adoption is perfectly timed. God does everything at the right time. God does everything at the right time. Number three, and I want you to write this one down. Adoption is, or you have to be, completely qualified. This is a really weird phrase. Look at verse number four. But when the fullness of time was come, man, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was planned. Man, it was timed. It was perfectly timed. What happened? Verse number four. God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Isn't that a weird, isn't that a weird phrase? God sent forth this son made under a woman, made under the law. So what is he, what is he teaching us there? Well, he's teaching us there is a certain qualification for adoption. That there are, there are some that are disqualified from adopting, and there are some, just, just speaking of, of the actual procedure of adoption, there are some that are disqualified from adopting, and there are some that are more than qualified for adopting. There are some countries that you cannot adopt from, and there are some countries that you can adopt from. Maybe because, because of age, that may qualify or disqualify you. Because of a, a certain amount of income, that may qualify or disqualify you. Be, be, because uh, the baby is too young or maybe too old, that may qualify or disqualify you. I mean, there's, there's, there's a qualification that is necessary in order to be able to adopt and what God is teaching us through the Apostle Paul in this passage in, in Galatians 4 is that Jesus met all the qualifications of adoption. That he met all the responsibilities. He was up to the task of it all. In what way? In that he was born of a woman and in that he lived or was made under the law. Jesus had all the qualifications to make it possible for us to come into his family. This is what separates Jesus from every other religious leader in the world. What does Jesus bring to the table that Muhammad doesn't bring to the table? What does Jesus bring to the table that Buddha doesn't bring to the table? What does Jesus bring to the table that this teacher or that religious teacher doesn't bring to the table? What does Jesus bring to the table that you and I do not bring to the table, right? And that's the the answer in verse number four. It's a very theologically loaded verse. That's why I tell you, it's one of the best verses about who Jesus is in the Bible. And he answers it. What does Jesus have that we don't have? What does Jesus have that these other religious leaders don't have? Here, here it is, number one. He's fully divine. In that, we, there's what we mean by that. That Jesus was 100% God. He was not just a good teacher. He was not just a good leader. He was not just a moral person. He was not just a really famous prophet, but that Jesus was God himself. That he was not created. That God sent his son, which means that Jesus was pre-existent with the Father. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 15, that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. Jesus said about himself, if you want to see God, look at me. 
If you want to hear God, listen to my words. If you want to know what God would do, you've seen me. You know what God would do because I and my Father are one. And he's not saying we're one in person. He's saying we are the same person, that Jesus was completely God, 100% God. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 6, that Jesus in his very nature was God. Hebrews chapter 1, that Jesus was the exact rep representation of his being, that Christ was co-equal and co-eternal with God. When, when the world needed a Savior, God sent Jesus as the substitute. God sent his very self. Now, this is what separates Jesus from everyone else. Because Muhammad never claims to be God. And Buddha never claims to be God. But Jesus claims to be the very God himself. This is what enraged all the religious leaders in Jerusalem. This is what made them so mad at him. Well, what, what caused them to be so angry that they stirred up the mob and they called for him to be crucified and then even eventually did crucify him? Why did they do that? Because Jesus claimed to be God. You've seen me, you've seen God. You've heard me, you've heard God. You've touched me, you've touched God. You, I am that I am. He takes the very name of God upon himself. Now, Jesus, one man said, is either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. That's it. You've got you to leave him in the middle. You must accept his full claim that he is the God pre-existent. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the same was in the beginning. But the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Hey, listen, that's a very clear verse. That's a very clear verse about the full deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's fully divine. What did Jesus bring to the table that no one else does? He's fully divine. What did Jesus bring to the table that no one else does? Here it is, number two. He was fully human. That, that's actually why he says it the way he does. Listen to it. God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. That's why he says it that way. He's, he's fully God, but he's also fully human. I heard one person say, well, he was 50% God and he was 50% human. Wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. Wrong. He was not 50% God, 50% human. He was 100% God and he was 100% human. He was made of a woman, made under the law. Philippians chapter 2 teaches us this very same idea that even though he was God, that God, he put on flesh and he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What, what he's saying is, he was made of a woman made under the law. It's a way of saying that he was born the natural way like anyone else was born. This is, this is why, you remember at Christmas, they always make a big deal at Christmas that the babe was wrapped in swaddling clothes. 
You remember singing songs about that and hearing that at Christmas, how that's so important? There's these swaddling clothes. Why do they say that? Because it's like saying he wore pampers and diapers just like us. It's the same way of saying that. He was fully God and he was fully man. He was completely God, 100% God, and he was completely man. He was just like anyone else. But not just that. He's fully God. This is, this is great. He was fully God. He was fu you should smile, or I'm just going to stay on this point for the rest of the time, okay? I can't see your face. Okay, he was fully God. He was fully man. Notice this. He was fully righteous. He was fully righteous. Look at this. Look at verse number four. God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. He was born under the law. He was not just born a man. He was a man born under the law. In that, he would have had a full, as, as, a, as a fully Jewish man, he would have had the Jewish law. He was raised in a Jewish family. He knew Jewish tradition, went to the Jewish synagogue, how that he was in all points, tempted like we are, yet he was without sin. That he was fully God, fully man, and that he was fully righteous. In that Jesus never one time committed a sin in this life. He was without sin. He was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And he had to be, didn't he? He had to be perfect and spotless if he were going to take our place. Why? Because we are not perfect and we are not spotless. No, no, no. All, all we, all of us have sinned. All we like sheep have gone our own way. We've all rebelled against God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are guilty of being imperfect. All of us are guilty of violating the law of God. All of us are guilty of sin. There is no one in the room who has not sinned, even the guy you're listening to right now. Don't, don't, nod, don't nod your head on that one. You haven't nodded your head any other time, and now you're like, mm-hmm, he ain't right. No, no, all of us have sinned. We've all sinned. There's only one who has not sinned, and that one was the Lord Jesus Christ. He is completely qualified to be our substitute. What does Jesus have that no other religious leader, no other religious teacher, what does Jesus have that they don't have? He was fully God. He was fully human. And he was fully righteous in that he never broke the word and the law of God. Last one, okay? Adoption is mercifully applied. Notice how it ends. Look at verse number five. This is it. We're done. Verse number five. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Listen to the phrase. To redeem them that were under the law. What, is, what does that mean? Well, to be under the law means we've broken the law. And do you remember all that we talked about last week? How that, what is the law for? Man, the law was given because we were disobedient. The law was, was given because we were not right. And how even that the law shows us that we all sin and we all come short of the glory of God. The law was our teacher. It was our tutor. It was our schoolmaster in that way. So all of those 
Why did God come? To redeem those who were under the law. They, were, they had broken the law. They were under the curse of the law. That's the same image being given. God came to redeem those who were under the law. And now this is where we have to be very careful in using the analogy of adoption. Now hear me on this point. Because sometimes we can glamorize the idea of adoption, can't we? Like we can see adoption as this like beautiful, sweet thing with this innocent little child who's done absolutely nothing wrong, but is simply a victim of circumstances. And how, man, that, how this little baby done nothing wrong, completely perfect, completely innocent, how they need somebody like us. And we can over-glamorize the idea of adoption. But anyone in the room who has actually been through the process of adopting someone knows that that is not always the way that it is. That process can be very difficult. That process can be very, very touchy. And one writer writes it this way. Listen to it. He says, imagine for a moment you're adopting a child. And as you meet with a social worker, at the very last stage of the process, you are told that this 12-year-old child who you are planning to adopt has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three years old. That the child persists in burning things. He's even attempted to uh, kill an animal or two. But he's always guilty of trying to act out violent scenes or maybe, maybe even act out uh, uh, things that he's internalizing. The social worker doesn't tell you what this means. They just tell you that this is what he does. The social worker continues and tells you about their family history. How the boy's father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather and his great-great-great-grandfather they all have a history of violence. They all have a history of spousal abuse. Maybe there's even a history of serial murder in there. Each of them is grandfather, great-grandfather, great-grandfather with this violent history. All of them ended their own lives. Now think about this for a moment. As, this, as the social worker tells you this in that moment, do you want this child? Now, now do you want the child? Knowing all the baggage, knowing all the law-breaking, knowing all the brokenness that exists, knowing all the ugliness that is there. And if you do adopt the child, if by chance you said, yes, I still want the child, if you do adopt the child, do you watch him nervously as he plays with your kids? Are you, are you comfortable putting the knife on the table as you sit for dinner? Are you okay now as you turn on a movie to watch and flip the lights off and then leave the room and leave him in there with your other children? Hear me. He is you and me. And that family, that still chose to adopt is God. And he knows all this about you. And he still welcomes you into his family. You see, here's what we like to think about ourselves. We like to think that God loves us because we're good. 
We like to think God adopted us into our family because we're wearing our church clothes. No, 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 listen. God adopted you and me into His family and He knew our sin and He knew our brokenness and He knew all that plagued us and He knew the troubles that existed inside of us and even still, God sent His Son into the world to redeem those in the world to Himself. Listen, you are very loved by God. And God does not love you based on your merit. God does not love you and me because we are lovable. God does not love you and me because we had a really good week. Or maybe we prayed a little extra more this week. Or, or maybe we didn't do as many bad things as we did the week before. No, God does not love us based on our merit. God loves us based on His mercy and His mercy alone. And that is it. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's a great thing to be declared right by the judge of the universe. But it's something else altogether to be declared loved by God, our Father. And hear me, friend, God loves you today. God loves you today. So let me ask you a question then. Have you put your faith and trust in that God? Has there been a time in your life when you have said, I heard the message of Jesus, I know the message of Jesus, and I've been counting on my own good works to get me right with God. I've been counting on being religious or being kind or being nice. And I realize today that even though I should and I try to do all these things, it's not enough to make me right in the eyes of God. So today, I want to put my faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone to give me a standing with God that I would be declared right in front of the judge of the universe, but more than that, that I would be declared love by, loved by God the Father. If you're here this morning, you do not know that, here, here's, here's our invitation to you. Do not leave this place this morning without giving us a chance to answer some questions and to show you some verses from the Bible how you can know, how you can know not just that you're declared right with the judge of the universe, but how you're declared loved by God our Father.